Fantastic, great. Well, let me just get my things open, up and running. So yeah, it's a few things tomorrow, obviously, maybe the last time I'm preaching in this church, and as you know, I'm heading off, and thank you guys for the prayers and yeah, the words that you said, and I guess I just want to, just before I actually do get into my um, actual sermon this morning, which is on worry, I just want to yeah, say a little bit about the eldership as well, and uh, and what we do, and you know, these guys do work really hard for the church, and I know that there's so much we would like to do and so much progress we would like to make, but the, you know, the fact that each person has such a busy life on top and yet sacrificing and gives and does the unseen stuff. So it would just be good to remind you of that unseen stuff and the sacrifice that goes into trying to make some of this happen with lots of teams, uh, all the worship, all the deacons, all the things that happen and, and the eldership that goes into it, those uh, early mornings once a week where getting up at half five or six to get here for half six to pray for this church on a week weekly basis, um, the meetings every, Phil says every six weeks, they're not, every four flipping weeks, that's <laughs> what he does to you, he says just sign up for the eldership, it's fine, it's only, and then you get anyway, but those meetings where we wrestle, and it is a wrestle with what do we do, what is God saying, and the faithfulness of these guys, and uh, and the men that have made it up, and it's great to see new people, but the, the faithfulness of particularly the four that have been there for so long, Phil obviously as pastor, but as an elder, uh, leading the way, one of the things that draws me to that man is his gentleness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. But what a gentle man as a leader, not, not someone who is forceful, not someone who forces away, but has the spirit of gentleness to welcome in, to give opportunities, to love and to lead. Ian working in uh, perseverance and hard work, the hours and hours that this guy gives on a faithful basis and if faithfulness and perseverance would be said unto him. Andrew, again, a guy I would say that is bestowed with wisdom and knowledge, someone that brings so much wisdom and knowledge to our meetings and understanding within it. Um, My dad, but Bob, and what you bring in your faithfulness and, and relationship with God. And I particularly hear it when you pray. Everyone prays well. But when you hear that prayer um, and the words that come out, the relationship you must have with God in that private place. And what you bring of that heart for God into those meetings. Uh, these guys are guys of faithfulness that, that bring so much to this church. And we should be thankful. Lots of flaws as well. I saw a few of those over the years. But <laughs> faithfulness. And those things that are bestowed upon them that God has given. And alongside them and their equals. I think the wives and the, the ladies that are leaders in their own right. Each person that, that sacrifices they give out and yet do, do so much for the church as well. Anne Wynne, Marilyn, Judith, Christine. Women of God that are serving in this church alongside. It's amazing that we have people that will lead us in these things. So know that they do love you, care for you. They're faithful, they're skilled, they're gifted in spiritual areas. And they do that for you. And as I thought, you know, we, it's great to see new people. People come on board and uh, new elders and, uh, and people rising up to lead. I've seen many changes in my last, uh, it'll be five years I guess that I'll have been around and, and really moving into what God has got for you as a congregation to serve in this city in, in your time. Uh, and what I love about this church, what drew me is your heart for the poor. And I guess what, what would I say, what would my doxology be? What would my kind of exhortation to you guys as a church as if Paul was writing a letter, my last few words? words to you 
And it would be that, that what has drawn me to it is it's a church which serves those in need. It picks up the scriptures that have gone right throughout history and still stand today, which says Jesus and God is drawn to those in need, is drawn to the poor. So my exhortation for you would be whatever you do in the future, whether it would be real hope or it would be something different, whether it would be hope um, house or whether it be something different, whatever expression it is, don't lose that. You're not called to give that up to do something new. You're called to do something for those in need. I tell you another thing that I absolutely love about it, and I, I, I just wondered, do you know the gift that it is? I'm sat here every Sunday morning. I often sit near the front with the, the guys, and, and there's kids running around. There's kids running around now. Five years ago, there wasn't a lot of young kids. It's a gift to this church. I love the noise. Absolutely love it. Bring it on. Make it noisy. As noisy as can be. Let them flipping run around. Let the little children come unto me. It's the future of this church. What a gift that God has given to this church. Lean into it. And these would be my final words on that matter. Is to look to the future. Bend towards it. Lean in to it. Don't shrink back from it. And these are the words that I would give you which would be Hebrews 10, really precious words. Uh, and, it, and it says this, it's a passage that looks back but also speaks forward. And prophetically, it's this, it's 10.32 to the end. And it says, remember those earlier days after you'd received the light. Remember them, remember all the good that God has done in this church in the past. All that has come when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, sometime publicly exposed to insult, persecution, other times standing side by side with those who treat, uh, so treated suffering alongside those in prison and joyfully accepting confiscation of property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So this Sunbridge Road mission, do not throw away your confidence for the future. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. Do not give up so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised as a church. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteousness will, will live by faith. And he says this, I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we, Sunbridge Road Mission, do not belong to those who shrink back and backwards and are destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved. Take that. And let that live with you as my kind of final true parting words to you as a leader to congregation. That's not what I'm here to preach on this morning. So let me pray and I'll preach on what I'm actually here to preach on. Father God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the fellowship it's offered me. The fellowship it's offered so many people in need reaching out in your name with your love and in your power to see lives changed and drawn into church and be disciple, Lord God. We pray for its future. I pray for it, Lord God, that you would bless it, you would pour out on it, that there would be a people that do not shrink back but press into all that you have for them, Lord God, in the future in faith. Let faith rise up in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm actually speaking on worry this morning, so let me read out the real passage, which is Philippians, classic passage, probably one of the, maybe even one of the first things I ever preached on. Um, so Jess Stockhill probably gave me some of my first ever opportunities to preach in the youth group when he was my youth pastor. I think this was one of the, it might be the first thing I ever shared on, but it has to be in there. And it's Philippians 4, uh, and I'll read from there if you want to follow through in the NIV. <coughs> 
And it says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So when Phil kind of sent out this new series, it's, it's titled uh, Battles That Christians Face. Um, and let's be fair and be honest about this one, that actually it's not worry and anxiousness, it's not a battle that Christians face, it's a battle that we as humans face. So it's a battle that's common to humanity. Uh, but if you read the Bible properly, what I want to say this morning is that really it's only one that Christians can truly overcome. And you'll see that in the world out there, what it's doing to the world. But actually the promise we have in God over it, that yes, it's a battle that all humans face, but it's one that only Christians can truly overcome. And as you've heard a little bit about my journey and my story, uh, it's something I personally need to operate in probably right now. So they've, they've kind of shed a little bit. So I'm currently selling my house, moving to another country and starting up a ministry from nothing. So within that, there's probably quite a few things I could worry about. And if you think of any I miss out on the following list, please don't come and tell me. Uh, so things I could worry about. Will my house sell? Probably number one right now. Will I have money out there? Will I succeed at what we're doing? Or will it fail? Will it fail because of me? Will I look stupid? Will what we do work in America? Will anyone get involved when I say, hey, would you like to get involved in this thing? Or will they all go, no. Where will I live? I mean, I literally, I know which city I'm going to now, but I don't know exactly, you know, when you move to a new, I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know which house I'm going to live in. I don't know what church I'm going to go to. I don't know if I'll have friends. Uh, and I, don't, I could also worry about what will happen to my family back here without me. There's quite a few things there that, that worry could take a hold on. I feel kind of qualified for this morning in that sense. But I think there's something, and this is the first thing I want to teach you this morning, worry, uh, that there's something about that list that teaches us where worry takes place. And what I would like to say is I call it the battlefield. So if worry is a battle that Christians face then where is the battlefield? Where is the location that all this stuff happens? And what I want to tell you first off is that worry meets us at the crossroads. It meets us in the points of need in life, at the points where this kind of thing happens. So it meets us when we have need. Where you have need, there you will find worry waiting at the door. Jesus himself said that, says it in Luke 12. He says, don't worry about what you'll eat, drink and wear and where you'll sleep because those are points of need. Where, where am I going to pay for this stuff from? What am I going to do for it? What, what's going to happen? It's there that worry will meet you. That will be the battleground. It's in, in times of uncertainty. You might be waiting for results or something medically or at school you're waiting for results. It's uncertain. You don't know what's happened. Where there is uncertainty, there you'll find worrying crouching at the door. Where there's confusion, Brexit, I don't know. 
whatever you're worried about. Where there's confusion, you will find worry waiting at the door. Where there are points of change, whether you're about to go to uni, new school, whether you're about to retire, whether you're about to move, if there is a point of change in your life, that is the battlefield where worry will meet you. At points of difficulty, when something goes wrong in a job, when something goes wrong in your life where you weren't expecting it, when you face a setback, where setback is, there will be worry crouching at the door. It's where it feeds off, it's where it meets you. That is what I would call the battlefield. When I was in Georgia recently, um, uh, it's the site in, um, of a lot of Civil War battles in America. And Bruce told me to go to see this place called Kennesaw Mountain. It's a great hike up a, a beautiful mountain. But it's also the site of one of the Civil War battles. And you can still see the gun positions. They've still got the cannons on top where they fought between the troops. And you could see the site of this battle, the location of it. And it was picked because it was a good place to fight. And that's what worry does. It picks the best places to fight and that is the battlefield it's at those times in your life and here's the thing I'm not special in going through those things you too will face all of those points in fact there's no there's no avoiding it in life none of us are unique we will all face times in this life where we'll face times of change, times of uncertainty, confusion, setbacks, problems, issues we will all face them and I would say even more, if you want to do things for God, if you want to live a faith-filled life, I'd say you're actually inviting even more of that into your life. You're inviting even more uncertainty, change, confusion and setbacks because you're doing something for God and it invites even more of those things into your life. So if you're going to live a life, you're going to face it either way. And if you're going to live a life for God, you're going to invite even more of those opportunities for those battles with worry to take place. And I've got quite a healthy theology of suffering. I don't live in fear of it, but I know I'm not immune. I know what life will lead and what happens. I know just for, for a start off that it rains on the just and the unjust. That was something Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 45. It says it, whether you're good or you're bad, life just ha things happen in life. I am aware that things will happen. In John 16:33, the famous phrase, in this life there will be troubles. So by the way, if you weren't worried before, have I, have I done a good enough job in convincing you that there's probably a few things you need to be worried about? I'm pretty sure that's what Phil said. He said, make sure they're really worried at the end of the sermon. But I actually believe that this is the first step in victory over worry. It's to know its tactics, it's to know where it's found and to expect it. And because you expect it, because you know where to find it and you know it's coming, you are ready for the fight. And I just worry that there's, there's sometimes we live in this kind of state of denial where we just wish that life would just be perfect. And when something happens, we're like, God, I can't believe something changed in my life. I can't believe I faced a problem. I can't believe as a Christian something would happen. And actually, we need a theology that as we go out in life, I'm not living in fear of it, but I have a healthy knowledge that in this life there will be troubles. I will face setbacks. I will face problems. I will see change in my life. I will see these things. And when I see those things, worry will be knocking at the door going, hey, Simon, worry's here. Let's deal with this. And I know that I will go through times in life which will cause worry and stress and anxiety. 
And in fact, that's why John in 1633 actually said those words. So where it says, in this life there will be troubles. Well, let me read the whole verse. Because actually it says, I have told you these things so that in me, to Jesus, you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So it's Jesus saying that, but he's saying it. He's saying, look, I don't want you to be worried that when things happen, you think I've abandoned you, you think it's all gone wrong, God doesn't love you because you've faced a change, a setback, uncertainty, or any of those things. No, don't, get, don't lose heart at the first thing that happens. Because in this life, yeah, there'll be trouble, but take heart because I've overcome this world. And I say it so that you can have peace. So that's why I say these things this morning. Not to worry that these things are coming, but no, so that you may have peace. He says it so we're not surprised when we face these issues in our life that cause worry. And he says, I have overcome these things. So I can't t- teach a theology that life will be perfect. But I can teach you one where God keeps you whole and brings the victory. That's what I can teach. So that's the battleground. That's where worry is crouching. It's where it feeds off. Those are the times that worry will come in. That's where worry makes its stand and that's where it must be defeated. So I want to talk this morning. We've talked now about the battlefield. Where is it that worry takes its stand? Where is it that it makes its attack? And I want to talk about, therefore, what what is the battle within it? And what is the antidote? What is the way to win that battle? So if the first victory is to know it's coming and you will meet it, the second victory is to know that you're not meant to live with it when it does come. And here's the second thing. I think for quite a lot of us, we kind of sometimes live with worry as a badge. Can't you? I'm just I'm a bit worried right now. I'm just a worried person. I have a lot to be worried about. If you were me, you would be worried too. And I think the problem for a lot of us is that we've decided we quite like worry. We've settled down within a house. We've built it a house. We've made a room for it and we live with it. And anyone that comes around to visit us, we're like, hey, meet my best mate, worry. We've kind of got really used to it and we like living with it. My message to you this morning in God is not one of condemnation, but it's one of freedom for it. And God is saying, you're not meant to live with it. You're not meant to have it in a room. It's not a friend of yours. It's not here for you. And the kind of worry that the Bible talks about, biblically defined, is not okay. And in this passage, if you're, worried, uh, if you're wondering whether that's true or not, well, in verse 6 it says, be anxious about nothing. So there's not some things you're allowed to be worried about and other things that you shouldn't be. God has got a life for you where he doesn't want you to be anxious. He does not want you to live with this. His wholeness for you is not that you go through life a worried wreck. His wholeness for you is that you are anxious about nothing. So why is it that we hang on to worry? Because we do. We wear it as a badge. We hang on to it. And I think there's a few reasons that we hang on to worry and we kind of like it as a best mate. I think the first thing is we're convinced, and it's wrong, that it somehow benefits us, that there's some positive effects to worry, that maybe it protects us from harm because we're so worried that it keeps us from ever um, being in harm. We think that we're allowed to be worried because the, the conditions are so bad that therefore, humanly speaking, well, you'd be worried as well. I think sometimes we build it into our relationships as well. We say, you know what, I'm allowed to be worried because that's what makes a good husband, a good wife, a good child or a good colleague or a good church member. If I wasn't worried, I wouldn't be good at what I do. I wouldn't be a good, and insert the word. 
And I think some of us are worried because we've settled there and simply put, we don't know how to beat it. So we're just living with the status quo. And I want to tackle and I want to knock some of those things down as we dwell just for a while on the statement, be anxious about nothing. Because before we can talk about how we can beat it, I think we need to talk about why we shouldn't live with it. Because too many of us do live with it. And the first is this. We be- what was the first thing I said? We believe wrongly that worry somehow benefits us. And Jesus tackles this again in Luke 12, 25, another uh, classic passage on worry where Jesus himself speaks into worry and anxiousness. He says it. What does he say in that famous passage? It won't add a day or an hour to your life. It doesn't add anything. And here's the truth about worry. And sometimes we like it. We think it's right. We think it's a good thing for us to have. He said, the first thing is, this thing does not add. It's not an addition. It's not a force in your life where it adds in something positive. In fact, I'm going to go on to teach you, it's a subtractor. It's actually a destroyer. It's a robber. It's a stealer. So if you're sat here this morning going, actually, you don't know, Simon. I should be worrying. It benefits. It protects. It keeps me. Jesus himself says, it does not add. It is subtracting and it is destroying in your life. And this is it. We believe that worry protects us. I want to describe actually that it does the opposite. And the passage describes it in verse 7 in Philippians verse, uh, chapter 4. And it says, The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I want to think about what the opposite of that is. Why do you need to guard your heart and your mind from, from troubles? Well, if you don't guard it, what it's saying is that it will actually destroy your hearts and your mind. And this is what worry ultimately does to you. It destroys your mind and it means you lose heart as a person. That's what worry actually does. So when you've got this belief that worry is something that protects you, it keeps you safe, it it makes sure that you do the right things for your kids and your family, actually it's a subtractor it's not something as Jesus said it never adds but what it does is it destroys your hearts and it destroys your minds and if you want to look out there in society so when I started I said it's a battle that humans face it's not a battle that just Christians face but I want to show you what it's like when we do it without God they did a YouGov poll with um, out, so it's a, a fairly big survey 74% of people have felt so stressed that they've been un overwhelmed, unable to cope. It leads to eating, overeating. 16% say that they start smoking or increase smoking. 51% led into depression. 16% self-harm because of worry. And 32% have suicidal thoughts and feelings. It leads to people being stressed and lonely as a result. Does that sound like an adding force? Does that sound like a positive force in your life? Does worry sound like something you want to live with? Does worry sound, when described like that, something that's protecting your heart, something that's protecting your mind? No. Worry is a subtractor. Our minds collapse under the weight of worry and we lose heart for life. And God's heart for no one in this congregation is that they live in such a place. And actually, not only does it subtract, rob, steal and destroy, I actually also think it stops us living life in the full. 
And when we're saying it's protecting me from risk and harm and stuff happening and from people, I actually also think it stops us living that life full of faith. Because it, it, it takes our, and it robs our heart for a life of faith. It, it robs our appetite for a risk and a move. Because I'm telling you, faith could be spelled risk and faith could be spelled courageous. And in the face of both of those things, worry is the exact opposite of those things. And I do want to talk a little bit about the difference between concern and worry. Because having said all of that, I don't believe that we're meant to live a life without proper concern. And actually, you'll find Paul, even in, so he wrote Philippians, but in chapter 2, he actually uses the word concern. So he says, for, he's talking about a guy who is sent to look after a church. He says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So I actually believe there is a positive declaration of, of concern. And he uses it in quite a lot of the New Testament. But I want to talk this morning about the difference between concern and worry. And it's okay to be concerned for your family members. It's a godly thing. It's okay to be concerned for your own life. Concern is practical. Concern says, what can I do to help? What can we do to try and sort this out? Concern is healthy. It's born of a love for someone else. And concern is a positive impact in someone's life. Worry, on the other hand, is negative. It brings fear into a situation. It's destructive and it's unhealthy. Concern focuses on what can we do, what's constructive, what, what can we do, and it's got faith attached to it. Worry is me-focused. I'm worried about you. I'm not concerned about you. I'm worried about how it's making me feel. It paralyzes people in situation. It's unwelcome. If you've ever had someone worried about you, I tell you what, if you're going through a situation and someone comes to you and goes, I'm really worried about you, it just makes everything flipping worse. It does. It's a subtractor. But when someone comes to me and says, I'm, I've got a real concern for you, but I've got a real faith for what's going on, and what can I do to help, and the bits where we can't help, let's pray about that. When someone comes to you with concern, oh, it brings life. When someone comes to you with worry and goes, do you know what you're doing? shouldn't be doing this. Oh my gosh, this could go really wrong. At the end of it, you're like, oh God, just leave me alone. And that's the difference for me be between concern and worry. And I think it's right to be concerned about our own life as well. So my boss has a saying, he says, there's no point in praying for protection from God when you're driving at 80 mile an hour on a 30 mile an hour road without wearing a seatbelt. <laughs> I'd be worried about that if there's one situation. Well, you know, it's right to be concerned about how we live our lives. As I move to America, I've got concern for what I've done. I've got a project team at work. I've secured funding for what we're doing. I've done research on the best places to go. I've been out, I've visited, I've done planning because I'm concerned about what I'm doing. But I ain't worried about it. I show concern for my life. I show concern for my family. I show concern for my church and my colleagues. But I don't show worry. So guys, this morning, I think as we look at the battlefield, where does worry take hold? I want to knock down the fact that some of us are living with worry and think it's okay. It's okay to be concerned, but it is never okay to be worried. That's what the Bible says. It says, be anxious about nothing. And I think some of us this morning need to get divorced from worry. And like I said, we met it, we've liked it, we've settled down in a house with it and made a special room for it. 
And before we can actually do battle with it, we need to actually say the words, it's not right to be worried. It's not how God wants me to live. So if the battle is knowing that you're going to come across it, because life is going to bring challenge, setbacks, change, uncertainty, and knowing, secondly, that you shouldn't settle there, knowing that it doesn't protect, it doesn't add in, there lies from the devil, it robs, it steals and destroys. And once we know those things, that we're going to face it, and we know that it's not a good thing, then we can move on to actually do battle with it. And this is what this passage says. It gives three ways that you can actually do battle with worry when it comes. And the first is this. What's your part in it? Well, the problem is, is that so often we try and fix everything ourselves. And I believe what this passage is saying is that worry lives in the bits where we can't do anything about it. So yeah, I'm concerned. I've done as much planning. I've done as much stuff as I can do. But you know what? There's going to come to a point where I can't do anything more about it. So with my house, I put it on the market. I've changed the price. I'll look and do as much as I can do. But there's going to come a point where I can't do something about that. And worry lives in that bit, not in the bit that I can do. So what does God want for us to do? What is our true part in it? Well, you see, the problem with us as humans is we want to think we can fix everything ourselves. But when you meet something that you can't do in your own strength, and this is why I say that worry is a battle that every human faces, but only a Christian can truly overcome, is because God wants you to take it to him and let him fix it. That's ultimately what he's saying. And we're obsessed with the life. I just feel like worry is our obsession with what we want to do. And we're obsessed with the life where we fix things. And God's saying there's going to be things in your life where you're not going to be able to fix them. Where you're going to face things where it's not going to fix overnight. Where you're not just going to get the money. You're not going to win the lottery. And all the money's just, there's going to be periods in life where you're not going to be able to fix it. So he wants you to take it to the person who can fix all things. So how do we do it? By prayer and petition. And sometimes people wonder why it says two separate things there, prayer and petition. And this is my interpretation of it. So petition is asking, and this is what I want you to do this morning. When you've got a problem and a burden that you can't face and that you can't change in your own strength, you need God in your life. And the first thing you need to do is petition God. And a petition is a request. And you know what? The amount of times I say, please God, would you do? Please would you? Please God, would you change this? Would you help me? Would you do, bring this up? Whatever it is, you need to take things to God. When you face something that is going to cause worry, well, first of all, take it to God and do the request. But the prayer bit, prayer is a conversation with God. And I actually believe what it's saying is that God wants you to talk about how you feel to him. Because you know what? You're not just going to get rid of worry magically and instantly. Actually, God wants to talk that through with you. And I really believe that he is so up for you going, God, you know what? I really want you to fix it, but I am still really worried about it. And I feel like this, and it's making me feel like this, and it's leading to these outcomes. God, would you help me in this? And he wants you to talk it through with him. So that's my first encouragement to you, that if you really want to battle this thing, so we've done the battle, we know it's coming, we know that worry will take hold at some point in our life, we've decided as men and women of faith that we're not going to live with it, we're not going to stand for that life. Well, the first thing you need to do 
is take it to God, not try and fix it yourself, but take it to the God who can fix all things. And you need to constantly talk to God about it. And it's okay. It's okay. It's not going to be a battle won in an hour. Sometimes you'll win the battle and you'll go out into a day confident, giving all your worries and fears to God who can fix all things. And then the morning after you'll wake up and you'll go, God, I'm worried again. Can I say to you, take it to God and tell him and go, God, I'm worried again. I'm really sorry. I know you said it'd be all right. God, would you? Here's my request. Would you deal with my worry today? Take it to him. Talk it through with him. He's a good, good father. He really is. He's there and he loves you. He's not judging you for the worry. He wants you to live without it. But he's not judging for you when you fall. The second thing you need to do is give up trying to work it all out and how it's going to fix itself. I believe that one of the biggest sources of worry is that we're just obsessed with wanting to know the end result. And here's the thing. I'm only 36. Maybe you think that's really old. For you flipping young people in your 20s. I used to be like you. Uh, (laughs) But I've known enough in my life that you will go through periods in your life where the difficulty you're facing, the change you're facing, the setback you're facing, the confusion you're facing will not resolve itself within a day. It will not resolve itself within a week. It will not resolve itself within six months. Sometimes we have to live with those things for a period of time. And yet as humans, we are obsessed with a piece of understanding. We want to understand how it's all going to work out. I tell you what, I've got peace right now about my uh, mortgage payment because I can see the balance in my bank account. I know I've got a job and I know where the money's coming from. That is a piece of understanding because I understand how it all works out. How do you maintain your peace when you don't have the money and you've lost your job or something like that? You will have times in your life where you won't understand how things are going to work out. And if your peace is based on your understanding, you will not have peace. Because in this life, you will face lots of areas where you won't understand how something's going to work out. And that's what God is saying to you this morning. God has got a better peace for you. The people out there are trying to live with a peace of understanding. They're working as hard as possible to protect themselves from any change, any difficulty. And they're trying to get as much money as possible so they never have to worry about a thing. The old people succeed and get a load of money and then still have a load of other stuff to worry about. God says to you, stop trying to get to a point in your life where you've got nothing to worry about. He says, I've got a peace for you now that passes understanding. It's not based on you understanding how it's all going to solve and how it's going to work out. He's got a peace for you that is based completely on no understanding whatsoever. That is what God has got because as you talk to him about the things you're facing and as you make your request to God, he also says, now leave it with me. This is the second problem with worry. I've said a lot of problems, third, fourth, whichever. Is that so often we do the prayers and petition and then we bring them back and go, right, but now I need to continue fixing it. And like I say, it's all right to be concerned and to apply wisdom and to do what you can do. But you will face things that are beyond your wisdom, that are beyond your, your fixing, that are beyond your ability to do it. And God is saying, don't have a peace based on what you can do. Have a peace based on the God who fixes all things and leave it with him. Let it rest with him. It's his problem now. And that is the peace that passes understanding. It is that peace that guards your hearts and your mind. It is a people that live with a peace and go, I don't need to understand how it's all going to work out because I've got a dad in heaven that's working out all those details. I've told him all about it. When I fall, we talk it through and I get back to that place. And because of that, my heart is guarded. I have not lost heart in life and my mind has not collapsed 
because I'm not relying on what I can see. I'm not relying on what I can understand. I'm not relying on what I can work out in my own human strength. I'm relying on big daddy God who's looking out for all of those things. That is a peace that passes all understanding. So how do you receive it? Well, it's a supernatural transfer. It can only come via the supernatural. It can only come by prayers and petitions. So whatever you're facing this morning, whatever change or uncertainty, whatever is going on in your life, whether it's school or whether it's relationships or whether it's looking at all sorts of things, the people in this congregation, I know that you're going through. Make your petition to God. Talk to him about how you feel. Leave it with him and stop trying to work it all out. And then the final thing that you need to do, and I think that a lot of people finish the teaching on peace and anxiousness and worry in verse 7. But actually it goes on to say, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And I think this is the final thing we need to do. I'm not a fan of the theory that positive thinking can overcome worry and that's what people say out there. But I do believe that we're called to think about things that are right, to train our minds, to actually think of the good that is in life to think of the positive things in life. And I think this is the final battle that people face in worry, is that they make their prayers and petitions to God and they leave it with him. And then they sit at home thinking about all the bad things that could happen, all the things that could happen in the future and go wrong, all the things that have gone wrong in the past. And they're training their minds to think about all the worst things that could ever happen. And God is saying to you, change the way that you think. When you find yourself with a thought that's going down that road, capture it. There's another scripture that says, capture every thought and idea. Capture it and think about anything that is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Focus in on those things. Not that positive thinking can overcome those things. Only the Father God in heaven who takes our petitions and requests and can actually sort it out can sort those things out. But our mindset as we go through it is something that we can work on. And God's calling us to think of those things that are full of light. Think of those things which are lovely. To train our minds to do those things. And I think he wants you to live in the moment, not worrying about the future, not worrying about all the things that could go wrong. I think he wants you to live in today. So if there is nothing in your life right now, he wants you to stop worrying about what could come, to have a healthy wisdom about the future and a concern for it and to do what you should do. But if, and probably when the moment comes, that worry next knocks on your door and says, hey, it's worry again, I'm here. The first thing you do is you turn to him and not yourself you make your petition to God and say, God, would you do whatever it is that you need? You talk to him about how you feel in prayer. You practice the discipline of leaving it with him. And you take the supernatural peace that passes understanding that's not based on what you can work out and what you can do. And then you focus in on whatever is pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. And if you do those things, I believe you can live 
a life free of worry. That God's wholeness for you and he speaks it over you this morning saying, I don't want you to live like this. I've got this for you instead. The consequence of losing this battle is a mind that collapses, a heart that is lost, faith battles that aren't won or never even attempted and probably a person that's not that great to be around because you speak it into other people's life. But the consequences of winning this battle is a mind that is sound, a heart that is full of life. It's a, a life that is full of adventure and faith battles attempted and won. And it's a person that will draw people to you because every time they come near to you, they go, aren't you worried? And you go, you know what? Let me speak confidence into you. Let me speak courage into you. Let me encourage you. That's the consequence of a battle won against worry. So I hope this morning that there's courage and encouragement in the fact that we will face this battle because we're all human. And I speak that grace upon you this morning that as you face it, you're so flipping human. And by the way, I'm preaching this, but I'm going to fall in the next week and be worried about something. But we're going to face these moments and now you know you're equipped. You know where worry is going to spring. You know, right, I'm going through a change in my life. You know what? This is an opportunity for worry to set in. And the next decision you make is you go, but you know what? God doesn't want that for me. So therefore, how am I going to defeat it? Because it ain't going to protect me. It's not going to add a day or an hour to my life. In fact, I know it's going to subtract and destroy and rob and steal. So therefore, what am I going to do? I'm going to make my prayer to God. I'm going to tell him all about it. I'm going to make my petition. I'm going to leave it with him. And I'm going to focus all that is good and all that is positive and true. And I'm going to repeat that as many times as it takes until I've had that victory over worry. And in Jesus' name, you will live a life that is whole, a life that is full of faith, and a life that sees the victory of God. So this morning, don't walk out if you're worried about something and you need to do those things. Maybe this morning, you just need to take a couple of minutes to talk to Big Daddy God about how you're feeling right now. And while you do it and you tell him, God, I'm supposed to not worry, but I feel really worried and be honest with him. Make your petitions known to him. And receive this morning the supernatural peace that passes understanding. So I'm going to give you two minutes to do that while the band come up for our final song. And I'll close in prayer and we'll do our final song. But just take some moment to do some of those prayers and petitions right now. Yeah, I want to...
thank you this morning, Father God, for the type of Father that you are, that you look down on us in our weaknesses and all the struggles that we go through. And your heart for us is not that we would be crushed or overwhelmed. Your heart for us is that we would be upheld and that we'd have peace. That's who you are. And I thank you that you've heard every petition, every little cry right now, Lord God. Don't let anyone think that you've not heard it. You've heard every cry, every petition. And Lord God, we leave those things with you and we trust that you will do what you need to do. And whatever the outcome, you're still with us and for us and not against us. And we trust you until the end. The God that says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you until the end of the ages. We thank you that that's who you are. That's our God. Lord, take our worries and our fears and give us something better. Amen. Afterwards, tea and coffee, but let's just spend some time worshipping that God.
Thank you, God, that you reign. Amen. Thank you, God. And Lord, we just pray now that you'll help us to see that, to know that, to trust that, and have the faith in that, that our God reigns. Amen. Amen. The prayer, time, prayer team is here. If anybody wants to come for prayer, please come and make use of that. Thank you.